How are you doing today, sir? I'm very good. Thanks for having me on. I, I live, live from my bedroom. <laughs> um, uh, I've been asking this of, of everyone we've been talking to recently, but how have the last few weeks been for you in terms of uh, you know being home a lot? Fantastic, uh, because a lot of the kids. Yeah, I have four adult uh, kids, uh, and my son is 39. He's here with his wife. Uh, and they're in the apartment downstairs, and my daughter's here with her boyfriend, and then my, my youngest daughter, who's 21. Uh, so we're all here. We're, we're here at the house in Connecticut, and we've been doing a lot of yard work. And uh, you know, first, we isolated from each other, physical isolation for the first 14 days. And then, um, so now that we're not dealing with um, being exposed to other poss possible participants who have the virus uh, uh, passively or otherwise. So we, you know, we had a nice Easter Sunday. We did a, we did a, a Passover dinner with uh, Daniel's uh, family uh, via, via Skype Zoom. And, um, you know, it's been really interesting. It's been really, really good. I'm, I'm doing things with my kids I haven't done in years. Try to get them to yard work uh, a month ago. Forget it. But now, they, 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 uh, we've been we've been laying mulch. It's been great. Uh, you have done so many uh, movies, and you've been on so many TV shows. I'm very curious. When you're standing in line at a supermarket, do you find that there's one role? or two different things that people always want to talk to you about? Or is it, you can sort of tell by the the age and the, the sort of what the person looks like, what they're going to probably want to talk to you about? Uh, it, it, yeah, yeah, it depends on, on uh, the demographic. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids uh, talk about uh, the voice work that I did. Uh, um, or, you know, um, millennials with their children will say, hey, this is, you know who this is? Who's he sound like? Uh, that's Martini from Olive or Kissing Stripes or um, um, a lot of a lot of college kids or, uh, talk about Memento. Um, it seems like Memento is required viewing for any second year college kid now. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, it's so interesting with with the availability of these old movies and TV shows that I've done that were very successful. Like my kids, I, I see my younger daughter watching Friends all the time and learning uh, this kind of cyclical life that that these kids think that these folks like the friends kids are still all in their mid twenties. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's ever evergreen. Same thing with Sopranos. People uh, will talk to me about Sopranos and, and talk about specific questions regarding, you know, what Ralph did or uh, didn't do. And uh, it's been 17 years for me. So I don't know what the hell they're talking about. Right. <laughs> sure. Um, I want to jump. Um, the reason I get to talk to you today is because of Bad Boys for Life. 
which is now, I believe, on digital and it's coming out on Blu-ray soon. Um, when you made the original, when did you know that they were actually going to make a third one because it had been so long since the second one? Did you even think that a third one was a possibility? Well, my agent, uh, Barry, he called me, at, like, I want to say three years ago or uh, around this time and said, you know, it's on the fast track. It's going to get done. You're going to start September. You're going to start shooting. And then that got pushed and it got pushed. And then it was two years later. And, you know, you forget about this stuff. You know, uh, they've, they've been talking about doing a sequel to the Goonies for the last 25 years. They have. So, so you, you just don't, um, you, you, you know, hope for the best and expect the worst. Uh, so when when they actually got into uh, this negotiating it, and I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, and then I was, you know, when I walked on the set, and I hadn't seen I didn't seen Martin or Will uh, since I said goodbye to him on the on Bad Boys Two, you know. So that, that was like, was it fourteen years, fifteen years? Yeah, it, I believe two thousand three to seventeen yeah. years. Been a, a long. Yeah. When you how much with with your character in the Bad Boys movies, how much is that scripted and how much is that sort of um, are you ever are you guys like with Will and Martin ever finding stuff in the moment or is it is it really all, all on the, the page? Time. No, all the time, especially in the first the first one. Uh, we. We would rehearse, as I remember, you know, 25 years ago. Uh, that. We would we would rehearse. We had a couple of days of rehearsal, talking about the scenes, and then uh, you know, the input from from uh, Michael Bay or Jerry Bruckheimer, and and we would just riff. We would improvise, and then they liked it. We stuck to that. I, I've had I've had some some success with that kind of uh, um, storytelling. Uh, it's it's, uh, it's uh, kind of uh we did that with with the fugitive and uh andy davis is you know it's kind of impressionistic type of uh filmmaking where you just throw the paint up there and see you know what what uh, what feels right what works what clicks with uh with the f filmmakers and uh and that that kind of evolved and and the kind of uh uh, the the blueprint was there at that Gallo, that George Gallo had you know created these characters, and then uh, we uh, we kind of ran with it, and and it evolved, you know. So, and then I think in the second one it was like what 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 would be fun, uh, with that whole Wusa stuff, and and these guys are trying to you know find their inner peace and 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 not jump to emotional conclusions and that didn't work um and so when we were when when we started bad boys three i'm trying to remember what my first day was uh, i remember going to you know right i was shooting a movie in new york and uh and it was a night shot and i i went right from the set to a hotel at JFK because I had an early flight 
they needed me to get in for a hair and makeup test. Uh, and so I, I went right to the set, even check into the hotel. Um, and I saw Martin, and then I saw Will, and then I met the directors for the first time, and they were shooting a scene with Martin and Will in an underpass. And, and, and this was in Atlanta, very cold. I was surprised that I was in the deep south and how cold it was. Um, and because uh, we had shot all the movies in Miami uh, prior to that, but because of the tax credits that Atlanta provided the production company, we shot most of the movie in Atlanta and only like two weeks of it in Miami. Um, and so it kind of evolved. And then I was on that set uh, in, in my office, which was a, a new location, uh, different than the office I had worked in prior, you know, the, in the first two movies. Because in the first two movies, when we went back to do Bad Boys 2, it was the same building in downtown Miami that was shot in. You know, and and there I was, and there and there uh, it was with Will, I think. I think his first scene was with Will Smith, um, and you know, it was just really amazing. And the the technology is so different. I haven't been on a lot of big studio movies lately. Most of the work I've been doing has been you know independent movies, and so the the technology is so fast now. You know, and, and the cameras are always moving. And and they were shooting three cameras, so you never knew where the camera was. It was it was really incredible. It was I felt very very lucky to be able to have this trajectory. I mean, it, you know, it was 25 years since we started, but I've been doing this consistently for the last 40. I've been making a living as an actor, and it's changed a lot since the first time I walked on a movie set. You know, the cameras have gotten much smaller and faster and uh, there's really no sitting around time in the old days it was like you know three hours for the cameras to get set up and 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 10 minutes for acting and then they get and go on to the next setup but now it's like you don't get much time to go back and and lay down anymore you're, you're on the <laughs> set pretty much all the time i speaking of uh, uh earlier in your career um, I think the first time I saw your work was Risky Business, um, which uh, that movie, you know, that that was a first time director. That was uh, Tom Cruise before he was Tom Cruise. Um, you know, that movie came out of nowhere. Uh, when you when you got involved in that project and when you were making Risky Business, did you have any inkling that this movie was going to turn into what it was? Not at all. I remember I, I was I was shooting Eddie and the Cruisers at that time uh and uh we were uh I, I went to chicago and we were shooting it and they were doing all of these kind of fast time at ridgemont high they were doing all these high school movies that they, they were in vogue at the time and i just thought well this is a, you know another kid movie and you know and rebecca was was brand new too uh I think I, I was the, you know, I was 27. I was the uh, the veteran on the set. Tom was like, I think 20 and Rebecca was 21 or something. Uh, you know, and the filmmakers, Rickman had a real clear idea of what he wanted. Um, 
and uh, you know, and his producers were John Abnett and Steve Tisch, and you know, they they were phenomenal. And Abnett went on to become a a noted director on his own right. And and John actually shot a lot of the second unit stuff. Uh, so I I just recall it as a a really great summer in Chicago, that you know would have the kind of movie that would come and go. And don't forget, back in those days, these movies did come and go. There wasn't any uh, HBO or, uh, you know, if, if a movie didn't have a life in the theaters, after two weeks, they were goners. It was only with the advent of, of cable television that these movies became discovered. But that wasn't the case. It, 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 risky business uh, was a huge, huge success. And it was the first movie I'd been in that was, had that kind of notoriety. Well, I also I would imagine that um, as as a uh, I would imagine landing a movie like that that everyone sees allows you all of a sudden to be in front of every casting director there is without ever taking a meeting. Well, you know, you know, it's like you don't know you landed that movie until it comes out. You know, it's just a it's it's just a job. It's just a job like the other jobs, and and you and you're hoping that they're all going to be successful. Uh, you just never know. You just never know. And, you know, uh, it, it, for me, that kind of success was uh, was mind-boggling. You know, it, 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 it did open doors in ways that uh, I didn't know that doors got open that way. I thought it had to do with talent. I didn't know it had to do with success. Sure. Um, you touched right at the beginning of this. You mentioned Eddie and the Cruisers. That's a movie that I saw like a million times on HBO as a kid because it just kept playing. Um, right. And that that obviously never did well in the theaters, but it was a huge one of those cult movies. Um, can you sort of yeah. talk about that, about how that movie bombed, but it was seen by everybody? Well, what happened was, it, 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 you know, it was a disaster, but it... it it wasn't the movie as much as it was the music that everybody discovered. I think it was Z Channel before HBO. Uh, it was a cable channel, and they they sold it off on that. And people were like, "What is this? This music is fantastic." Beaver Brown Band. And so the guys that produced it had to go out and recut albums. So it was like sold two million albums. Uh, and people were watching the movie just just because they liked the music so much. Um, as 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 I recall, that's how it turned out. Um, I have to. One of my all time favorite films is The Goonies. Uh, I grew up with that movie. It means a lot to me. Um, that was shortly after you had done Risky Business. So I'm curious when you went in for that. Was that a moment where you had to still audition? Or were you actually reaching a point where people were offering you roles? Uh, that risky business was a Warner Brothers picture, and uh, and and the Goonies was also Warner Brothers, and uh, I I remember going in uh, where they were matching us up with brothers. You know, uh, uh, we didn't audition. I didn't audition. We they was like interviews. They had me with with Robert Dobby and uh, me with an, uh, another actor, and they were just matching us up to see what the best match was for what they were looking for. And, uh, we, you know, they would just ask us questions and we would answer. 
and they, they put us on on video and and then uh, uh, Donner and Spielberg um, saw saw it and, and made their decision. Um, I have to ask you, uh, I mean, that that's a huge film for so many people. That's another one of those things where when you were when you were making it, did you have any idea that this was going to be so special um, or with Spielberg's involvement? Were you like, oh, this has a chance? Um, well, you know, Dick, Dick had just oh, done also, all the yeah. Omen movies yeah. and, and, um, um, and Stephen, uh, and Kathy Kennedy and Frank Marshall uh, were on it. And Stephen started directing Second Unit. He directed about, I don't know, I want to say 60 days of Second Unit. Uh, he, he was doing Second Unit stuff which would be whole scenes. So, you know, Donna would bring in, uh, a chunk, you know, he took a chunk of the movie. He did most of the kid stuff and, and, and Spielberg did a lot of the, uh, the Fratelli stuff. And, um, it, you know, it, for me, it was a fantastic educational uh, experience and, and seeing the collaborative nature of filmmaking, you know, and studios uh, collaborating um, and, and, and the producer uh, our producer would work in tandem, and, and back in those days, it was everything was was dailies. And Donner had a open door policy, uh, so every night after work, he'd have pizza and soda and beer and wine, and the you know uh, the the crew would come in, and cast was invited. The kids were there, and uh, it was like it was like a cafeteria. And, and uh, you know, high school cafeteria. Everybody's having a good time and watching uh, what we had shot the day before. I don't, I don't know if they do that anymore. You know, it, it, there's no dailies anymore. The filmmakers are seeing the shot on a 50-inch uh, TV screen. Uh, so it it was uh, it was great. And Frank Marshall did a third unit. At one point, we were shooting at Warner's. We were traveling around. We were in, Oregon and uh, Paducah, not Paducah. We, uh, we Hitchcock did the birds. Um, oh, I don't remember Northern California. Northern California, but um, when we wound up doing all the stage work, we we were on three, four, five set stages uh, with three or four units shooting at the same time because there was a there was a date certain that the movie was being released, so they had. They would just, it was like a factory on, you know, like Ford Motor Company. It was great. It was great. Yeah, it, it turned out. Um, I, uh, you worked with Spielberg, obviously, in Goonies. Did that help you land that role in Empire of the Sun? You know, it, it must have, uh, uh, you know, he called me up and said that, you know, I'm doing this movie, Empire of the Sun, and I want you to play Frank Demers. We're sending you the script. Um, and uh, I, I had met him. I, the first important work that I got was the remake of From Here to Eternity for NBC. It was a six-hour miniseries that Buzz Kulick directed, and I got to play the part of Angelo Maggio. Uh, and uh, and Anne DeSalvo was a friend of mine, uh, an actress who called me up during the uh, uh, the second installment of this two hour, it was it was three two hour uh, shows, 
And uh, she said, I, I was at a party last night with all of these actors and Steven Spielberg was there and he, he just thought you were great. And he was, you know, I told him you were a friend of mine. And he wanted to know all about you. And I, I was like, I didn't believe her. You know, I said, stop <laughs> screwing around. She goes, no, I'm telling you the truth. Long story short, I went to Warner Brothers. I still had my, uh, well, then it was called Burbank Studios. It was a conglomerate of uh, Columbia Pictures and, and Warners. And, and Steven Spielberg was shooting uh, 1941. And I brought my friend there uh, for, to have lunch because he had just newly arrived from New York. We were all being transplanted from New York City in 1978. And, uh, and I said, oh, my gosh, that's Steven Spielberg. I heard he really liked me in this movie. And uh, my friend said, well, you, you know, you should go say hello. And I said, well, what if, what if Andy was kidding? So Spielberg came over to me and said, you know, I saw you in this movie. You're terrific. Uh, uh, let's have lunch. So we arranged for lunch. I went over to the uh, 1941 stage. Uh, where it was actually stage 16, which is the largest stage on that lot. It's where we did all the water work for, uh, for the Goonies. And, you know, after lunch, he said, you know, the next movie I'm doing, there's nothing in it for you, but we're going to work together. So when we got to Oregon, and I'd already been working with, with Donner, and then Spielberg showed up um, to start the next day uh, with Kathy Kennedy and Frank Marshall. And and Donna said, Joey, say hello to Steven Spielberg. And I didn't know if he remembered me. And I said, hi. And he goes, I kept my promise, didn't I? <laughs> uh, it was fantastic. It was a great moment. I'll never forget it. Um, I, uh, I'm going to jump a little ahead because I, I know I only have so much time and I want to make sure I can bring up a few things. Um, I am a huge Wachowski fan, just mm -hmm. massive. And um, I'm, cu I'm curious... If you're making bound with them, did you have any inkling of how special they were going to be as directors on bound? I just, I just, you know, I, I had a feeling that these guys were, um, I had so much respect for them. They, they were, you know, they, this was the first movie that they had ever directed and they were dedicated planned out and uh and i i just i just had a feeling uh you know that it, it was a whole new experience for me I, 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 and the fact that it came out so well and all of those those careers that began it, 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 um, you know it was almost a, it was like an audition for the matrix so they, they wanted to prove to warners that they could make a movie and nobody was going to give anybody $60 million, you know, as a first time filmmaker. So they made bound to show them that they knew what they were doing. Sure. When, so when did you find out about the matrix? And the thing about that film is that it's so groundbreaking visually um, and what they were able to put on screen. I'm curious what your reaction was reading that script for the first time and maybe reading how they're describing the action, and you sort of like this. What? What is this going to be? Yeah, I felt that way while I was working on it. I, I just didn't, you know, it's like I couldn't. I had they had they had storyboarded the whole movie, so it was a huge storyboard book that I still have. 
so you could see these cartoons. But I was never into cartoons as a kid. Uh, not cartoons, you know, comic comic books. Uh, so it was hard. It was just hard. It was hard for me to understand it. You know, the Matrix stuff was fairly um, uh, easy to comprehend. Uh, but I got to tell you, it was uh, when it all came together, it was just uh, amazing. And when I walked onto that set, the Nebuchadnezzar, uh, I, I knew we had something special. I, I, it's the only job I ever was on that I knew was going to be special. I just didn't know if it was going to make money. And I knew that was important. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, because one of the things about The Matrix is that came out, I believe, in 99, which is when the internet was going on, but it wasn't the internet that we all know now. There was no, um, you know, uh, people now sell the visuals in a way that you couldn't sell on the internet back then. And uh, what was it like for you seeing that movie, the when did you see it for the first time? Was it at the premiere? Did you go to an early cast and crew screening? And what was it like seeing those visuals for the first time? They screened it for uh, a bunch of us. Uh, um, the night before they were going to show it to Warner Brothers over at Lantana on, uh, on Pico and 29th Street. Uh, and Keanu and Fishburne and Carrie Ann. Uh, and Bill Pope was there. It was about... 15 or 20 of us, and I lived in that area of Santa Monica. There was an Italian restaurant that called El Forno on 30th and Ocean Park. And I said, let's go there. And we did. And, you know, we started drinking wine. And then my house was on 30th Street. So we walked over to my house. And, you know, it was just this great experience of, of finishing the movie uh, and seeing it. And, and again, it was like, this is groundbreaking stuff. Uh, but an audience is going to get it, you know. So the, the happy ending, I remember saying that, you know, that, that the happy ending was, if it could make a hundred million dollars, that, that that would be the happy ending. Because the last thing you want to do is have a movie get come out that you really believe in, and they and audiences don't don't cotton to it. Yeah, um, it had a little bit of success, just a touch. Yeah. 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 Uh, I want to, uh, um, another thing that I want to bring up with you, and you touched on it a little bit earlier, is The Sopranos. Um, that show, another groundbreaking show, because nowadays there are so many things out there that are similar to The Sopranos in terms of long storytelling, and uh, but at the time it was doing stuff that nobody else was doing. It was the, the you know, it was laying track down, if you will. Um, what was it like being a part of that and working with David Chase, who was so, you know, micromanaging every part of that show? It was great. I mean, um, you know, I showed up a couple of seasons into it. Uh, so they had they knew what they were doing. And uh, and I didn't I didn't have HBO to this day. I don't have HBO. So I, I, you know, David had sent me three or four episodes to give me an idea what the show was about. And we talked about it. Uh, and and then uh, uh, you know, with, I, I it's been so long; it's so hard to remember this stuff. But uh, I I really it's one of the great experiences of my my uh, career. Well, one of the things though, um, uh, you got to work with James Gandolfini, um, such a gifted actor. 
Um, is there any stories you can share about uh, working with him and maybe what struck you about him being the leader on the show? He was, you know, he's a wonderfully kind, uh, generous, most generous person I'd ever known. Uh, Fun-loving, self-effacing, uh, consummate professional, tremendous actor. Uh, and I always describe Jimmy as like, you know, he was the sun and we were the planets that circled him. Sure. Um, I know I'm just about out of time with you. So I, two last things. You brought up Memento earlier in this uh, conversation. Um, that's another one of those. I mean, you've worked with such gifted filmmakers. What was it like reading that script for the first time? And maybe did you have any inkling of how special that movie would be when you were making it? Not at all. I, I you know, I, I again, I, I could tell that Chris, you know, you get a, you get a sense. Some of these, you know, I've worked with some filmmakers that kind of fail upward. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the Nolan, the Wachowskis, uh, Spielberg, these are guys that, uh, that really are above, above the fray. Very, very gifted. Um, yeah. My last, my last thing for you. Another one of my all-time favorite films. You've been in a number of them, so thank you for all your work. Um, but I love Midnight Run, just like anyone who's ever seen that film. Um, can you do? You, can you share any memories about uh, making Midnight Run? Because I mean, that's another one where if it comes on, forget it. I'm glued for two hours. Yeah. No. I. I you know. Again. What is that? Thirty years ago. Thirty-five, uh, I think. I think it came out in eighty-five. Was I in that movie? <laughs> I have to take your word for it. Uh, who's in it? <laughs> right. I, no, I it believe... was great. I mean, Marty. Right. Yeah, you know, Marty Breast. My God, you know, I put him in the same category. I mean, just a dynamite, wonderful, wonderful storyteller. Just the best. Yeah, I, I can't say enough positive things. Um, hey, listen, I want to give you a sincere thank you for um, giving me and everyone at Collider and everyone watching uh, such wonderful performances. Uh, and really, I, I just want to thank you so much for your work and getting on this Skype chat with uh, me today. Um, just thank you. And obviously, everyone watching, go see Bad Boys for Life. Uh, it's really, really good. It's out on digital now. It'll be on Blu-ray, I believe, April 21st, but don't quote me on that. I think that's the date, though. Um, and uh, I just want to say thank you again. And I hope you guys and your family are safe and healthy and get through what we're going through uh, safely. And you too, you and your family and your loved ones. And everybody out there is, you know, keep your distance. That's the, that's the key. Cool. Thank you so much for your time and have a great day. You too. Bye.